0: One of the things that we are concerned about is that I told you last week I'm not really interested in having church. Church is a boring exercise. (laughs) What we want to commit ourselves to is a process of holistic development. That's a process we are committed to. To achieve that end, it means that um, there are some things that we don't really need to do. And there are some things that we're gonna put very strong focus on. Um, And so the system and style of teaching I am very, very deliberate in focusing on certain areas which I believe the Spirit of the Lord is prompting us to speak into. Um, But what I want to do is to encourage you to go back over the material. How many of you went back over last week's material? Let me see how many of you did that. Um, Bill has done a remarkable job in providing us with a platform where we could go back and listen again. Whether you heard it once, you could go and listen to it a second time, or you could recommend it to someone who is yet to hear it um, the Bible does say that faith comes by hearing and hearing sometimes you need to hear something more than once in order for it to really kind of um, center itself in your spirit and so we do have that facility that facility available. Um, is it something I'm doing wrong Bill okay there is we need to take this offer huh? should I no, that one's off. okay okay so We do have that facility available to us and I want to encourage you to please use it. Um, The other thing that we want to do just to make sure that the word of God gets into your heart, something we are concerned about. I am concerned about leakage. Leakage is where input really does not match output. (laughs) Meaning that you put doctrine in and what you get is a life of variance on the other end. What you want is to try to find a way as best as we can to make sure that the word of the Lord that's put it into you, that we rehearse it where necessary, that we remind you of it from time to time, because listen, we are not here to impress you. I am not dopamine. God didn't send me to make you happy. I am completely committed to, to as best as I can possibly do it to see how we can build a wholesome life together so that we could be of greater value in the hand of God. That's what we are committed to, all right? Um, last week, we're going to do something we're we'll going to do every week as well, just to give you a quick review. This is last week's, this is last week's highlights, um, just the highlights. Uh, and the highlights are only designed to remind you, you know, just to rehearse again concepts that we looked at, We would not expand on those concepts. All we are doing is just giving you the basic highlights of last week's presentation so that it stays with you. The danger with church is this, is that most preachers find themselves trying to out-preach themselves. So last week's message was wonderful, and I'm going to compete with myself and out-preach myself from last week. We don't do that here. We are committed to a systematic communication of the Word of God so that we all find ourselves in a place of holistic development. So these are things we said last week. Remember we read Nehemiah chapter 5, 14 to 15, where Nehemiah spoke about um, certain extremities and certain abuses of systems prior to him and what he refuses to do. And he was very careful to underscore the reason why he lived with a certain level of restraint, which was because of the fear of God. And that's the emphasis of our presentation last week. And these were some of the points we highlight. Point number one, we said the fear of the Lord is not an impetuous and transient emotional response. It is an embedded GPS that that always guides your actions to rightness. It's an embedded GPS, something that always takes you to one destination. And that destination is correctness. My actions must be right. And that's Nehemiah's position. Principle number two, we said it is an internal restraint and referee. It's an internal restraint and referee that determines what is allowed and what is disallowed. Nehemiah said, I refuse to do certain things because of the fear of God within my own heart. And that, that has nothing to do with the strength of character. The fear of the Lord is not based on the strength of your character. It's based on a deep internal restraint. Something blows in the inside and says you should not. The fear of the Lord is not the sense of trepidation. It is driven by one thing, God must be satisfied and God is only satisfied by my constant commitment to be right, to be correct before him. Next concept we talked about, we said it is a governing principle, a governing characteristic. It limits and and denies excessiveness and abuses of the people's goodwill even when it's legislatively allowed. Nehemiah was the governor. There were certain privileges that he was entitled to. Previous governors made sure and enjoyed those privileges. But Nehemiah said, even though, I'm I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, even though I am the governor and there are certain liberties that I have access to me, I refuse to enjoy those liberties, not because I can't, but because some deep internal restraint mechanism said I should not. And And so I want you to understand that the fear of the Lord basically sometimes would give you areas of disallowance that other people may have allowances in. And you must know what God allows you to step into and what God does not want you to step into. And that has nothing to do with law. All right? The next principle we talked about last week is this. Um, next principle, which might take us to the next sheet, is this. Um, hit next. Uh, we, this is where we ended last week. We read 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Remember that? Where Paul said, in light of these promises... Let us cleanse ourselves from all of these carnality, both of flesh and spirit, because of these precious promises. And then we went back and looked at what those precious promises were. And this is what we said last week. Point number one. The fear of the Lord is the catalyst that allows for perfected holiness. The fear of the Lord is the catalyst. This is the stuff that makes it happen. It is the catalyst that allows for perfected holiness. Next point we made last week is this. We talked about cleansing ourselves, and we talked about the issue of personal responsibility. This is not something that the Spirit of God will do for you. Let us cleanse ourselves, meaning that I must be responsible to manage my own personal process. This is not something the pastor will pray you out of. Let us cleanse ourselves. Personal responsibility. The other point we talked about is the defilement of the flesh. It is very easy for us to identify fleshly defilement. Well, this brother is in sin because, you know, he did this. He drinks too much alcohol, or there he is in a bar. There he is hugging on to a prostitute. It is easy for us to identify defilement of the flesh. But what about defilement of the spirit, which is the other point we identify. Defilement of the flesh is all forms of immorality and all forms of uncleanness. But there's also something called defilement of the spirit. Next point, Bill. Defilement of the spirit is wrong motives. These are just as evil as defilement of the flesh. So you are prejudicial in your heart, but you are pointing a finger at the person who is sexually immoral. Both of you are wrong. You have envy and jealousy in your heart. That is just as carnal as the man who is involved in some form of prostitution. There is something called defilement of the spirit. And those things we must be conscious about. That will be wrong motives, antichrist disposition. When I say antichrist, it means it goes against the Christ characteristic. That's what I mean by antichrist. It goes against the Christ characteristic. Antichrist dispositions and warped perspectives. The other point we talked about, defilement of spirit, and it talks about perfecting holiness. That term, perfecting holiness, it represents a state that reaches a place from which there is no slippage. Can you imagine a place in God where you cannot collapse? You cannot stumble. And there are areas in your life where you have a certain degree of of ascendancy. Have you recognized that? In each of our lives, there's a certain position where you have some ascendancy. Listen, a devil can never put a pound of cocaine in front of some of you. There's no temptation there because there's a certain level of ascendancy. Now, there are other areas where you may not have the same level of authority. Now, when it talks about perfected holiness, it is a state from which you cannot even be tempted. You can't slip. There's no stumbling. And it is a position that we are all aspiring towards in every area. There are some areas that you have some ascendancy, but there are some areas where you do not yet have certain ascendancy. And when I say you, I include myself there as well, right? So, perfecting holiness, it is a state from which you can't slip. And that's a wonderful place that we want to get to. And this is the point that we ended with last week. So this is the point. Remember, Paul talks about, in light of these promises, and it took us back to chapter 6, where Paul talks about that God now wants to act. He wants to act now. And it talks about, in, in, there was a time when he wants to listen, there's a time he wants to help. And this is the point we said, the uh, urgent now, the urgent now, when God is listening and when God is helping, and when he is evidently proximate, puts a demand on us to lift our level to holy fear. That's the point we looked at last week. And we ended right about there. There's an urgency in the now. And God is less concerned about yesterday. What happened yesterday? Not much concern about that. But there's something about now. And that's the emphasis that Paul was putting there. The reason why holy fear is critical now is because now is when God is listening. Now is when God is helping. Now is when he is proximate or close. Next point: When God is remote, the, the fear of the Lord is of less concern. Have you realized? If God is distant, then life seems to have a certain level of carnality, and that carnality seems to have a certain amount of allowance. <laughs> you know, you're allowed to be lax when God is distant. You don't want to come to church. You don't want to come to church. Your finger hurts. You, you want to stay home and, and relax. Fine. <laughs> you know, you want to put your to- you, you want to put your roast in the oven for five hours. You don't want to come. Then fine. But when God is near. There's something about approximate proximate God and an urgent God that puts a demand on you. Something inside of you said, I can't be laxed at this time. Next point. These are just, remem- these are just um, by ways of remembrance, right? There is the encouragement to grasp God now. That's the emphasis that Paul was after in the book of Corinthians. There's an emphasis for us to grasp God now. What's that word? Now? Let's say together. Now. Now. Last point I think we had last week is that the significance of now being the most appropriate time for the acquisition of a higher life. and Those are the issues we drove in last week. The reason why I'm reminding you of it is because we are concerned about, let's say that word leakage. Leakage, that means you deposit something and it just seemed to dissipate and you have no idea whether it was a good meeting but I can't remember what he said. (laughs) Because in most churches, they treat their leaders or their preachers as entertainers. That after a while, you don't ever pay attention to what he said. You pay attention to what he did. Well, he danced like Michael Jackson. It was so good. But I can't remember what he said. He screamed so loudly. It was irritating. But I can't remember what he said. That's leakage. After a while, everything just dissipates. And you can't remember. And that's how we treat the word of the Lord. And after a while, church is just a place where you maintain a monotonous religious rhythm with no commitment to learn, with no commitment to change, with no commitment to upgrade, with no commitment to reform. (laughs) And so we stopped doing church a long time now, right? What we are committed to is holistic development. Holistic development, right? Okay, that's last week. Now let's talk about this week. And for that, we'll have about half hour to get this point across. <laughs> all right? Good. Good, good, good. Are we all cool? We good? Let me tell you what I'm going to do this week, and I'm going to build on this over the next couple of weeks because I think it's important. I'm going to give you a format. This is the format that we're working with over the next couple of weeks. We're dealing with dynamics of transition, and I'm very deliberate in terms of what I want to get done. Dynamics of transition. And this is the format. Number one. We'll talk about it's not on the screen it 's not on the wall because um, we 're going to get to doing some more powerpoints but not not right now we're we'll going to talk about first of all we 're going to define what transition is if you take the format down we 're going to walk through this over the next couple of weeks we 're going to define what transition is and why it is so critical and why it's so critically important what it is and why it is so critically important secondly we 'll talk about uh, Principles that must be deeply considered in a season of corporate and personal change. Whenever a corporate community is going through a, the, the dynamics of change, there are issues that you have to consider on a corporate level, and there are issues you have to consider on a personal level. Next, we talk about the inflection point. In each of our lives, in each of our circumstances, in each of our journeys, there is that critical moment where Change cannot be ignored. You know, like, when a plane is flying from point A to point B, that plane has all kinds of pilot has all kinds of options to kind of outmaneuver storm cloud, outmaneuver this pattern. He, he has a lot of leeway up there. But do you understand, a plane does not land in New York. <clears throat> a plane lands on one strip of la- on one strip of asphalt. When it comes to landing? that pilot has no options allowed at that point in time. He's less concerned about your comfort. When it comes to landing, your comfort is not in his perspective. Put your seatbelt up. Whether you prefer laying back is not your problem. Put your seatbelt up. And so when it comes to change, there's always this inflection point, the point where your comfort is not the issue. And so we'll talk about the, the inflection point. The next thing on the agenda we'll talk is this, nice term, the liminality zone, liminality zone. Liminality. I love vocabulary and so every now and again I'm kind of throwing some nice words at you. Liminality is, have you been in a situation where you're almost like unsure? You know where you're going to. You know where you're coming from, but between the two spaces there's a sense of uncertainty. Liminality. Is what happens between two realms and the point of haziness. We're going to describe that over the next couple of seasons. And the next thing we talk about is what I call the detoxification process. Every time there's a transition you have to kind of dispense of certain things in order to effectively embrace others. So that is the agenda over the next couple of weeks. Transition defined. Why transition? What is transition? Principles to consider in a season of corporate and personal change, the inflection point, the liminality zone, and then we're going to deal with the detoxification process. We good? So let's get into this, right? Let's dance. (laughs) Let's dance. Now, what is transition? Very simply put, write this down. Transition is a radical departure. It's a radical emphasis on radical. It's a radical departure from a past that seeks to imprison you. It's a radical departure from a past that seeks to imprison you in a place of limitation. Now the problem is we seldomly see, we seldom see the past as a place of limitation. When Israel was coming out of Egypt, uh, the desire of Pharaoh was to keep the people in a state of slavery. You see, in that place, you could no longer define productivity as how much bricks you make. (laughs) Because if you think, well, I am very productive in this place, little do you realize that you are misdefining productivity because you are still enslaved. And so transition is this commitment to unhinge yourself from a past or from a position that seeks to imprison you in a place of limitation anything that seeks to keep you imprisoned in a place of limitation is a devil no matter how unpleasant or pleasant that circumstance may be transition is your commitment to unhinge yourself untether yourself Disconnect yourself from a position that seeks to imprison you in a place of limitation. It could be your present. It could be your current circumstance. It could be the business venture you're stepping into. It could be the friendships that you are constantly pursuing. It could be the shape of your mind. It could be the space that exists between your two air. Anything that seeks to imprison you in a place of limitation is an enemy, no matter how pleasant it may be. Transition is that commitment to disconnect yourself from anything that seeks to imprison you in a place of limitation. And it is the decisive movement to your ordained, liberated future. Emphasis on decisive. The decisive movement To step into your liberated future because it is in that place of liberation ideas begin to percolate the purpose of God begins to arise sight becomes your normal hearing God becomes your normal that's where Liberty is Liberty is not where well okay the chains are taken because listen the chains could be removed but there's something called chair remember Vocabulary is important. What is chayaf? Chayaf is the mark left after the chains are gone, and sometimes that could be even more imprisoning than the chain itself. Are you you understanding? And so when we talk about breaking free from a past, I'm not just talking about a devil or a curse or sickness or disease or no money. I'm talking about mindsets, attitudes, perspectives, Anything that keeps you in prison. Because, listen, man, you'll be amazed to know the prison cells that we all live out of. You know. You see, put it this way. If you get up every single day and your sight is the, is the same that you see yesterday and the day before that, guess what? You're in a jail cell. The difference between you and the guy who has a 10 by 10 cell is that you have a cell that you could drive in you in a prison cell that you can fly in. You're in a prison cell that you can go to the mall in, but you're in a cell nonetheless. <laughs> because both of you are still imprisoned by the same perception. He gets up every day and he sees a wall in front of him. You don't see a wall, but your perspective is the same as it was yesterday. Your perspective is the same as it was the day before that. Are you following me? And so liberation is breaking free from those chains as well as those chaff, the marks that are there. Transition is breaking free from a past or even a present or a position that constantly seeks to imprison you in a place of limitation. And it is the decisive movement to arrive in a place that God ordained, that God has ordained, that has absolute liberty. Now, liberty is a word that we kind of toss back and forth all about the place. But, um, but it, is, it is a place that we will, we will define. What does it look like? What does it look like? All right? So, are you, you all understand that? Now, that's a basic definition. Eh? But when we, talk about, when we talk about transition in that regard, transition in that regard is responding to your innate and deepest yearning for freedom. You know, deep in the inside, I don't care where you live, who you are, there is an an innate cry or yearning for freedom. Now, freedom is a big word. eh? Freedom is not the right to do as you like. (laughs) Freedom is the right to do as you should. That innate desire that God put inside of all of us to be free, not to be imprisoned, not to be locked up, whether it be from the government or from your friend, whether it be from your pastor or from your bishop, that innate desire to be free, that's the stuff that drives that thing called transitioning. That innate, that response to your innate and deepest desire to be free. What is transition? It is the temerity. The temerity to break the psychological, philosophical, stereotypical, and tribal chains that reduces you to somebody's definition of who you should be. I'm going to say that again because I think it's important. <laughs> because listen, I don't care who you are, somebody is always telling you who you should be. That you become a caricatured version of somebody else's narrative. Because they look at you and they say, well, this is how you should be. You know, John, you're, a, you're an associate pastor. You're a pastor. This is what you should look like. Listen, I am constantly committed to confusing everybody. I am not your definition of who I am. And I will not define myself by your version of who I should be. I am defined by the word of God. And the word of God's definition for me does not place how I dress and what I say in some high context you know (laughs) well you're a man of god you should populate your vocabulary with amens and hallelujahs you won't get that from me brother (laughs) you're a man of god you should wear a tie and this all this kind of we ain't doing that either part of my commitment to transition and yours as well is the temerity or the boldness to break free psychologically philosophically to break free from every single nuance or every single idea, every single concept that people, country, land, culture define you to be. The problem with most Americans, problem with most Trinidadians is that we take on a cultural disposition and we live according to that, sometimes in contradiction to the word of God. And so this process is a very radical process when you talk about transition. Let me give you an example go back to let's jump in our bibles and get a biblical address to these principles look at hebrews the book of hebrews really good concept i'm going to read through this because this is a short session this morning we'll be done in about 20 minutes we had a we had a nice packed meeting you we, we understand that that um uh the worship excellent john led us through our, our, our prayer positions randy came and gave us a combination of a report and exhortation all that stuff mixed up in one so we have had a significantly good morning thus far don't you agree good we could have actually stopped and go home he was 11 i'm going to read from verse 13 all the way to 16 read this through and i want you to underscore i'm going to underscore very a few very important principles right Hebrews 11, are you there? Yeah. 13 to 16. Hear what it says. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. Now, that's a, that's a Western culture uh, um, anomaly. What, I mean by, what do I mean by that? A Western culture anomaly is because, based on our Western philosophy, faith must always culminate in you receiving every promise. How dare you're a man of God and you didn't get those promises. All these died in faith without receiving the promise. Without receiving the promise. From an American perspective, these are not men of faith. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. Without receiving the promises. But having seen them afar off and having welcomed them from a distance And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. For those who say such things, make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they had went out, from which they went out, sorry, they would have had opportunity to return to it. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, these verses are really interesting scriptures because they are describing the perspective of the ancient patriarchs. Let me read this again because it has a lot of perspective there. It has a lot of perspectives there. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them, having seen them, having seen them afar off and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. Those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of the country that they came out of, which is behind them, or that place, that perspective, that position that they had abandoned, if they were constantly thinking about it, They would have sought an opportunity to return to it again. But as it is, they desire a better country. There's something called better. That is a heavenly one. Now observe, it does not say heaven. A heavenly one. A country, a place right here in the earth that has a heavenly component to it. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Let me quickly identify about four or five principles inside of there. Four or five principles. And we're dealing with introductory concepts of transition here. Write these things down. Number one, are we looking at the patriarchs and looking at models in the patriarchs that speak very profoundly to issues of transition? Number one, none of these patriarchs were ever trapped by the present. They were never trapped by the present. Can we say it together, they were never trapped by the present. Say it one more time, they were never trapped by the present. No matter what the present looked like. Whether comfortable or uncomfortable. Here what it says. All these died in faith without having, the pro- without having received the promise. But having seen it afar off, having seen it afar off, they were not trapped by the present. Their sight was fixed to something beyond the immediate. Having seen it afar off. Remember I said a while ago, most of us are in a prison cell. It's just that our cells are bigger than the guy who's in a 10 by 10 or 8 by 8. But the ability to be free is born out of having perception beyond what everybody constantly and daily look at. The ability to see more. If every day you get up and all your sight is like, oh, boring Niagara, More snow. Good God, it's cold. This is American culture. Nothing is happening. More COVID nonsense. If you live in that world, listen, you are imprisoned. If the daily definition of your life is exactly what it was yesterday, nothing more than the extrapolation of yesterday and the day before that, you are imprisoned somehow. You have to liberate yourself from the trap of the present having seen it afar off. Transition is the ability to lift your gaze beyond the immediate and to literally be driven by something way beyond the present. What do you see beyond your now? Think about your future, your tomorrow. Think about your business. Think about your marriage. Think about your ideas. Think about your own life. How do you see that having seen it afar off. You cannot be trapped by the immediate. You cannot be trapped by the present. No matter what that present look like. No money, bills. If you are trapped by that, you will be suicidal. <laughs> if the definition of your life is, is Biden and Trump and Republican and Democrat, listen, you are imprisoned. <laughs> Little do you realize it, the chains are literally wrapped around you on every single dimension. Having seen it afar off, you've got to lift your gaze. Every time God brings a man into purpose, he starts by saying, What do you see? What do you see? He came to Abraham after Lot chose for himself the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God said, Lift up your eyes. As far as your eyes can see, I will give to you. If your sight is nothing more than right here, brother, then you are imprisoned. The patriarchs were never trapped by the present. That's the first point. You got that right? Having seen it afar off. Secondly, we're looking at the basic principles in the patriarchs. They had a sense of acceptance. Not rejection, not indifference towards the future they each had a sense of acceptance not indifference not rejection to the future you see most of us feel very comfortable with what we've grown accustomed to and the moment you are called to step into the unknown there is always this sense of indifference that's not what we're used to (laughs) you know we're not comfortable that kind of stuff you know but look at the patriarchs. Having seen it afar off, they welcomed it. Welcome means to pull it and embrace it to yourself. You know, Having seen it, something they saw at a distance, they did not respond to it with a sense of indifference. They welcomed it. You understand me? They welcomed it. Bring it on. It's different from my present. It's not what I'm used to, but bring it on. Bring it on. Think about that again in the context of your life what is the future what kind of future will make you uncomfortable and to what extent are you willing to embrace it and welcome it if you define business for yourself what will that look like if you define a comfortable space what will your comfort zone look like and what about if the future that god wants to bring you into does not match your current definition of your comfort zone Would you be rejecting it? Would you be indifferent to it? The mentality of the patriarch is this, listen, listen, that what I see is in God. It may not be consistent, may not be the same as what I've grown accustomed to, but I'm going to welcome it. You see, in that regard, you understand, there's a lot more to faith than we think. Faith was not so much defined by what they got or the promises that they walked into and fulfilled, it was all based on a perspective that they possessed. Follow following me? Principle number next. Principle number next. <laughs> the present placement became woefully inadequate in light of the future that they perceived. The present became woefully inadequate in light of the future that they perceived. The present became woefully inadequate in light of the future that they perceived. Hear what it says. Let me read it for you. All these died in faith without receiving the promise. But having seen it afar off, they welcomed it at a distance and they confessed that there were strangers and pilgrims here. Do you understand what informed that confession? In other words, my present suddenly becomes inadequate. I'm a stranger to this because I'm seeing something that makes this look pale in comparison to what I'm going towards. Are you following the context sir? When it says there were strangers and pilgrims, that is a mentality that was informed by a future that they perceived. This thing cannot work. How many of you heard me say this before? This is not my level. Have you heard me say that before? And I've said the same to all of us. This is not your level either. And that's an arrogant statement. It means that you have sight of a reality that makes this inadequate. You cannot accept this as your normal because you've seen something that makes this look small. I'm a stranger and pilgrim because I'm seeing something. I can't make this my permanent abode. This is not life for me. <laughs> this cannot be permanent. I cannot assume, well, okay, let me kind of stick my stakes down and name this home. Uh Uh-uh, I'm seeing something that this is inadequate. I'm a stranger. I'm pilgrim to this reality because something is bigger than this. Now, I'm not talking about heaven. I'm not talking about going to heaven versus escaping earth. I'm describing the mentality of a transitioner, if there's such a word. (laughs) A man engaged in embracing The liberal and the liberty that God has ordained for him. A man committed to embracing the preferred objectives that God has for him. A certain core that defines him. Having seen it afar off, they welcomed it. They said, this is inadequate. This can't be it. Your definition of life is paying your bills, paying your mortgages, having a meal at the end of the day. Your definition of life is eat, sleep, and excrete. That can't be life. <laughs> there must be more to this stuff, man. If your definition of church is come and clap your hands and do a little Christian ditty and give an offering and go home, no, that is inadequate. You are sight of a reality that makes that inadequate. Right? Number next. You see that level of sight? You see sight like that? Listen, number next is this. You have to design a strategy. Design a strategy to cut off all opportunity to return to former positions. Design a strategy to cut off all opportunities to return to former positions. I said it again. Principle number next is design a strategy. To cut off all opportunity to return to former positions. Let me read it again. All these died in faith without receiving the promise. But having seen it afar off, they welcomed it at a distance and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. And here what it says if they were thinking of the land from which they came, they would have sought an opportunity to go back to it again. So, what they were doing? Let me stop thinking about church that way. Something about that becomes toxic. Can't think about that no more because I don't want church like that anymore. If they were thinking about the land from which they came, they would sort of opportunity to go back to it. Because human nature is this, let me always go back to what I've grown accustomed to. And we develop maxims to justify it. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. you ever heard that before. Let me take what I've grown accustomed to and dismiss the unknown. The unknown is crazy. And this you kind of crazy, you know. You don't represent what we've grown accustomed to. Give us comfort, give us ease, you know. All this hard work that you want to put us into, man, and all this vision of all this stuff, we don't, that is not stuff we want to do. We want comfortable Christianity and then we die and go to heaven. <laughs> If you were thinking of the land from which you came, you would have sought an opportunity to return to it again. Part of your transition strategy is to cut off opportunity to return to positions that previously defined you. You want to walk into a liberty ordained by God. Walk into that. And cut off the reverse option. In other words, tell God or tell yourself there's no reverse gear in this life. It has no opportunity to go back to former positions. Cut off the reverse gear, get rid of the review mirrors. (laughs) Right? And last point, because we say this is short, last point. Principle number next. Principle number next. This is the mentality that God partners with. This is the mentality that God partners with. Hear what it says. Let me read it again. Having seen it afar far off, they welcomed at a distance. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims. They cut off all opportunity to return to former positions. And this is the part that I love. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Paraphrase, there's a lot of Christians that God is ashamed of. He is not ashamed. Can you imagine God is saying, this is my kind of (laughs) guy. Man, I am Anderson's God. I am John's God. I am Randy's God. You, (laughs) sorry to say I'm your God, but. (laughs) (laughs) You understand understand how it goes? It's like, listen, when it says that he's not ashamed to be called your God, it means he rejoices in the fact that he could partner with you. That mentality, I could align myself with. That behavior, I could align myself with. You just want to die and go to heaven and have church on a Sunday morning for two and a half hours. God, I'll tolerate that, but <laughs> I'll tolerate that. On a different perspective, a different attitude, different mindset. Transitioning is a matter is a matter of abandoning mindsets that's injurious to God's partnering with you. You know, injurious to God's celebrating partnership with you. As I said, listen. What I want at the end of my day. I want to have images of God two feet up in the air, head rocked back, mouth open wide, having a good time. Hallelujah. I mean, things in the earth, well, (laughs) there's a church in Niagara pushing things forward. I want to see God happy, elated, excited, and I'm committed to that end. To my own hurt, I'm committed to that objective. I don't want church to be the devil's comedy hour. We've had enough of that, where devils and imps and principalities say, hey, Sunday morning, comedy hour, let's go have fun. Let's look at nonsense within the corridors of Christianity. That is not our order. That is not our standard. We don't do stuff like that. Amen? 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 I'm going to stop there. We pick up this next week. Remember, we gave an agenda, right? We told you this is what we're going to do. We talk about the criticality, the point at which things change. The inflection point. And every single one of us in your own life, there's an inflection point. Maybe you didn't realize it. It could be the death of a loved one. Something triggers something inside you that says, I cannot be like this anymore. could be some failure point. I can't be like this anymore. could be a real touch of God. In the middle of the night, you wake up and you're breathing heavily and you're basically dripping with perspiration and God is demanding something from you. And something in you says, I can't be like this anymore. Every one of us must have an inflection point and you must be able to identify it. What is that inflection point? In my life, I can identify it. The point at which I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it anymore. Right? We talk about these things next week. Next week and, and the coming weeks. You understood anything there at all? Any questions? Any feedback? Any rejection? Any interjection? Come on, there must be a question. If there's no questions, it's one of two things. It is so clear, so well said, so precise and detailed that there's no need for a question. Or you are so confused, you don't even know what to ask. (laughs) Which of the two would it be? Is it the first? In that regard, let me ask you to kind of uh, muse on these things, right? That's why you got to go over them again. Listen to them again. All right? Do that. Do that. On that note, let's take your money, please. <laughs> let's take your money. <laughs> we need your money. With your, the bigness, the enormity, the grandeur, the magnificence of the God to whom we have given our very lives. We thank you today for truth and for principles. Thank you that we can honor you and worship you. Thank you that we can sit and kind of muse over the exploits of Randy down in North Carolina and nation strangers and the people to whom he's connected. Thank you for just allowing us to engage you in prayer. Thank you for just allowing us to discover principles in your word. Father, we ask that you um, really overshadow your people with your grace and with your goodness. Where there's sickness, God, let their body be healed, let their bodies be healed. Where there's ailment, whether they know it or don't know, God, we ask now that you'd put your hand upon them and rid them of any ailment so that they'll be able to stand in good health and give their energy to the work that you've called us to do here. We ask for you to meet their needs, God. Meet their needs. Those who are without jobs, God, we ask for opportunities to be provided for them. God, you said that you give us the power to get wealth. We ask that you would really enrich your people with ideas so that they'll be able to truly enjoy the increase and the favor of the Lord. Overshadow your people. God, meet their needs. Listen to their cries, their concerns for their loved ones who might be sick and ailing and diseased. Listen to the cries of your people. Bow your ear and listen to our concerns, God. You who who are touched with the very feelings of infirmity, God, here we are as a company of people presenting our needs, presenting our concerns, those issues that really burden us. God, show up in a magnificent this week, in a magnificent way this week, and meet us. God, enrich us, bless us, favor us, go with us this week.